I'm Haley. I'm Andy. And this is Dead Endings. Today's case is in Michigan. Ooh. Another one. Another Michigan case. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Let's get it. It was spring of freshman year in 2005 for 15-year-old Christopher Dankovich. Christopher was a student at Rochester Adams High School in Rochester Hills, Michigan, on the east side of the state, north of Detroit. Christopher was definitely coming into his teenage years. He had just dyed his hair blue and was dating a girl that his mother wasn't too pleased with. Uh, as always, those teenage years of rebellion. Like Everybody has dated somebody that their mother doesn't approve of. Yep. I love the blue hair, though. I know. Yes. I can't fault him for that. Christopher's mother, Diane, and his father, Jim, were divorced. They had married in 1989, the same year that Christopher was born, but then divorced when Christopher was about six years old. There are some reports, though, that Diane had accused Jim of physically and verbally abusing her. Both parents went for custody of Christopher, but it was given to Diane. All right. His dad and him, I believe, they had every other weekend together, so it was kind of the norm for that time period where the mom is given full custody and then the dad gets every other weekend. Okay, yeah. Nowadays, I feel like you see more of the 50-50 split. I like the 50-50 split because... Week on, week off. Yeah, but I guess it also depends on, like, the history that they had with the relationship because if he did have that history of abuse, I mean, that would probably limit his custody. Yeah, and it's hard because when I looked into... Jim Dankovich a little bit. It's it's hard to imagine him being an abusive person just based on how he seems. Obviously, all people can have that, like, persona up front. Yep. But they seemed to eventually, him and Diane had, like, a working relationship when it came to parenting Christopher by the time he was older. I love a good co-parenting relationship. I don't know, because I saw reports, too, that they had a very calm divorce and it was very amicable. But then I also saw that supposedly she was accusing him of abuse, and I don't know what's true. Right. But Jim Dankovich worked as a chiropractor and lived in nearby Troy, Michigan, just about eight minutes south of Rochester Hills. After his parents divorced, his mother changed her name to Diane Michelle, which Michelle wasn't her main name. Her name had been Diane O'Connor, and then she got married, and it was Diane Dankovich. Which I actually came really close to just giving myself a new name after my divorce, too. So I understand why she just renamed herself Diane Michelle. Yeah, you want to start fresh and it's, like, freeing, you know? Yeah, it's like a name you chose for yourself. And that's, like, I think she was just kind of staking a claim to herself. Good for her. This is who I am. Her co-workers and colleagues say that Christopher was the center of Diane's universe. He was her only child, he was her son, and that she just adored him, which I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you... I'm, I will begin to understand. I mean, I, I think I do now. I think you're starting, yeah, yeah. For sure you have at least a little bit of that. And that all it is is that feeling just gets bigger. Yeah. But she mentioned that he was beginning to struggle, that he was starting to talk back to her. And realistically, like, what teenager doesn't? I had such a smart mouth. I was a, I was a little asshole, even despite all of the situations. And I was such a jerk when I was a teenager. From the outside, it seems what you would expect. Yeah. Normal teenage issues. Little rebellion. 
Diane was a personality. Uh, she had a master's degree in social work and she ran the Heartlight Metaphysical Ministry Center. Oh wow, so she's busy. She identified her positions as psychotherapist slash speaker slash teacher slash trainer slash minister. Really busy. <laughs> she taught classes at the ministry and she definitely gave off some like hippie spiritual vibes. I can get down with that. She loved to dress in bright happy colors and her favorite color was purple. Which, side note, I feel like a lot of people, like, especially when it comes to victims or stuff, they'll be like, her favorite color was purple. I don't know why, that's just something I've noticed. And they'll be like, we released purple balloons in her memory. There's something about purple that... I used to be so against purple because, like, okay, it's gonna sound stupid and, uh, like, weird. But when I was younger, purple was the sign of royalty from, like, long time ago. And then mm. I always associated purple with incest because a lot of royalty were incestuous. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the logic I had when I was younger. Purple's really cool now. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was way off the wall. That's a reason to not like purple. <laughs> it, was, it was so silly, but I was like, yeah, purple's incestuous. So I was like, no, Andy. Um, Diane's license plate read, love for you. Aww. Uh, she had blonde hair cut short in that sort of choppy mom cut. All right, yeah. Like, like angled. The Karen haircut? Kind of, but a <laughs> well, little better. a little more stylish. Alright, I can see that. She wrote a regular column for Phenomena News, which was either a local paper or a website. I tried to figure it out. I think it's changed hands because this was so long 15, ago. 17 years ago now. It's hard for me to put into words the type of person Diane was. We all know somebody like Diane. Right. She has a very different personality than I do. And there are times with people with this personality, I like love them and it's awesome, but it can also be exhausting for me. Oh, for sure. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad personality. She no. just had a big personality, it seems. She definitely sounded like she wanted to help a lot of people, you know, yeah. with everything that she was into. She seemed like she really wanted to help and inspire and motivate the people around her, which is amazing. I am not somebody who wants to be helped or motivated or inspired. <laughs> I like I like the idea of it, but then when it comes to the work, I'm like, no, that means I have to be vulnerable. <laughs> if I'm like motivating and inspiring myself, it feels amazing, but I don't like when other people are like sending positive messages at me. Yep. Because I'm convinced that it's just a cult thing. I could see that. It's not. Like, that's just how it's I not, process It's not, but, like, yeah, things, I know. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why when, like, I, like, listen about her, I'm like, I get it, but I would also maybe, like, hide. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she really wanted to help people. And as far as, like, I can tell, Diane was just, she was, she was a good person. Yeah, and she had to be, like, on the go for as many jobs and, like, professions that she's had. And plus, writing articles for Phenomena News. Damn, I don't know what time she had, but, like, I imagine that she just always had something to do. Yeah. And good for her. Yeah. I don't like being that productive, but good for her. Diane was coming up on her 51st birthday on April 27th, but things were slowly going awry. Her son, who she gushed over to co-workers about being such a good kid and never being involved in drugs or alcohol, was starting to rebel. The girlfriend, the blue hair. Um, in April of 2005, he spent the weekend with his dad, but on Saturday, April 23rd that weekend, Christopher woke up early, cut out the screen to his window, 
and snuck out of the house that his dad owned. He took his bike and rode to a school located in Bloomfield Hills, which is like the next town over. He was found by police trying to enter the locked uh, locked school building. Huh. And he was taken into custody and his father was contacted to come pick him up. He, why, like, that's just random to want to trespass a school into a school. That's, yeah, that's so random. What if the screen was just, like, the pop-out kind of screen? And I know. Cut it <laughs> I'm sorry, but that just kind of made me laugh a little bit because it is very, like, impulsive. I'm just going to cut the screen to get out when you, like, all you have to ah. do is push it. <laughs> For the most part. I mean, who knows about, like, the building structure. There's Maybe a good it was different. it was. Christopher <laughs> seems like he wasn't thoroughly thinking things through at this point. Yeah. Meanwhile, Diane had found a homemade gun in Christopher's room. He'd made it with PVC pipe after looking up how to do it on the internet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it shot marbles. Okay. Which is, like, kind of funny, but... It's still a little concerning. More than little. And she seems like she was a very liberal person. And I am, so I could understand seeing my kids being like, why are you making weapons? Like, what is happening? (laughs) So, yeah, you know, it's a homemade gun. She also found out that he'd been looking at pornography on the computer, and she seemed very distressed by this. To me, I it would be a conversation, but it wouldn't be Something upsetting. Was super, yeah. I mean, did it say what kind of porn? No. Okay. <laughs> because maybe that's what she was upset about. Yes. Just... <laughs> but I also understand how the combo of the porn and then the homemade the gun... gun would also make the situation feel heavier than if it was just the porn. And like you said, I don't know. Even if it was regular porn, she was distressed. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's, that's something that I'm worried about like in the future is just parental security controls on my child's phone or any type of device they have because, I mean, it's like younger and younger children are just Googling things. And sometimes it's not even things that they mean to like Google, but it ends up on porn sites. And it's very scary. I have searched baby doll on Amazon looking for toys and had sex doll things pop up. Yep. It's (laughs) so common and so odd. Yeah, those are definitely things that I'm like nervous about. So I can understand why she was like upset for sure. Diane and Jim sat down together with Christopher on Sunday, April 24th to have a good co-parenting dad and mom talking to the kid which is amazing super healthy. good for them it yeah. takes so much to co-parent with somebody i imagine they had years now to get to this point but they were presenting a united front to christopher being like this behavior is not okay yep it's admirable i mean some people don't even want to sit in the same room as their other co-parent so yeah no i i like commend them so much so yeah i would hope that by the time that my kids are teenagers I'm sure y'all get all that to that point. I'm sure. I mean, I hope that they're not making a homemade gun, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's just marbles. That would be my youngest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, after the talk, Jim left Christopher with Diane and he returned to his home in Troy. He tried to call to the house to check in when he got home, just, I think, probably to see how they were doing post-conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one answered. When he hadn't gotten a call back and there was still no answer by the next morning, Jim called his ex-mother-in-law, Diane's mom, to go check on Diane and Christopher. When Diane's mother arrived, the house was quiet, and when she opened the door, she saw Diane laying on the floor in the entryway. Ooh. Her body was partly covered by either a blanket or a towel. 
but it was clear that she was dead. Okay. It was very obvious that Diane had been brutally murdered, and there was no sign of Christopher in the house. Diane's mother called the police. She told them, too, on the phone that her grandson was missing, as well as her daughter's white van. And Diane's mom even told the police that there was a possibility that Christopher had done this. Which is a huge thing to me, that this grandma was like, there is a chance that my grandson killed my daughter. Yeah, because, I mean, at first, I want to think that, like, he was kidnapped or something. You know, that, that, but for a family member to be like, like wow. finding your own child brutally murdered, no matter what age you are, and then on top of that, having to factor in the possibility that, that your, your grandchild is responsible, I cannot imagine the stress that she was experiencing. Heartbreak upon heartbreak, for sure. Police seemed to agree with her. Diane had been stabbed to death. It was a very personal attack, even just based on the fact that she suffered multiple stab wounds to her head and face and neck. Oh. It was all very... That's personal. That is... Into that's the intense. face and the head. And then, like, also... Uh, I'm like, oh, I'm getting shivers. Because you can feel a person's insides of like the body while you like you have a knife inside them like you know like you there's i don't know i'm sorry i'm no no you don't know like this is how i imagine it no that's not how i imagine like this is from what i have heard from people who have hunted like you can you know yeah the feeling like the the pressure of the skin like stabbing somebody alone is intense enough and then just continuing to do it to repeatedly stab somebody in the face and head is unimaginable a lot of strength So she had some stab wounds to her chest and back too and something that I learned when I was researching the deaths of the women in Ypsilanti is that could be a sign that she was trying to get away if she was stabbed in the back. Yeah, as like she's crawling. Yep. Or like she took off running if he came out with a knife like that and I believe from what I know like with her having been in the entryway too I imagine that she was trying to like get out the door. Wow. She had made it to the front door area, but hadn't made it to outside. The, the attack was so violent that one of her eyes had been stabbed and it had been removed in the process of the stabbing. Yep, that that medically makes sense, yeah. And uh. Diane's poor elderly mother had to find her daughter this way. Inside the house, uh, there was just a huge mess. There were droplets of blood all over the house. There was evidence of blood in more than one sink if somebody had tried to clean themselves up. Bloody clothes were also found in the laundry room, which to me is so childish. Because if you think about it, he's 15 years old. You just stabbed your mother. It's such something a kid would do is to take their bloody clothes off and put them in the laundry room. Like, who's going to wash those? Not your mom. Yeah, not your mom. Why'd you put them in the laundry room? Oh. Isn't that bizarre? That is very weird. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't think about that. Like, but didn't you, throw them in the bathtub or, like, a sink or, like, Didn't even, in the like, garbage. in the garbage, yeah. Put them in the laundry room. Ooh. Which I don't know if, to me, if that's childish or if that, again, shows, like, a disconnect. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh. He, so he changed his clothes and then he took her car. Yeah. Inside the house, police were able to find the murder weapon, which appeared to be a blue-handled folding knife. And there was still blood and hair on the knife. So it was like he did some cleanup, but he didn't try to hide it, but then he fled. 
Because a lot of things when it comes to like insanity is does the person understand that what they did was wrong? And if they take measures to hide it or cover it up or like flee, that's a sign that they knew it was wrong. Yeah. And he seems to exhibit a little bit of both. Yeah, that's where I was going. Like, but that's, that's maybe his age. He knows it's wrong, but he's not going to be as successful as an adult covering up a crime. Yeah. So after confirming that Christopher was not at school, police sent security patrol around the school in case that he would head there. Yep. Which I thought was super interesting is... to think about. Oh, he might have plans to, like, attack the school. Because I didn't think about that. I wouldn't have thought about that as a regular person. Police put a be on the lookout for Diane's white van and it did not take long to find it because Christopher is a teenage boy and a child, so he went on a run on the run to a cabin that was owned by his father's family. Uh which was in Roscommon about two and a half hours north. Were they teaching him how to drive? I didn't know how to drive I, when I was fifteen, so I, like <laughs> I like you've gotten behind the wheel twice. No, I knew how to drive at fifteen and there's a chance he was in driver's training because you start oh, yeah. driver's training at like fourteen years and nine months is the age that you have to be. Okay. So he probably had done driver's training. My thing is even if it was a family cabin that I'd been to multiple times, it was two and a half hours away. That's How what I was thinking. That? Two hours away, yeah. Did like, you print out like Google directions? Yeah, yeah he would have it's had 2005. to. It's 2005. To piece the Google Maps and stuff. I don't oh know if that's goodness. childish, but I wouldn't have been able to get somewhere that I'd been multiple times. It was two and a half hours away. I at just fifteen. Yeah, I like. I I mean, that's either like a lot of forethought or just a lot of like gung-ho because like I would be so anxious to be that young driving that long. The van was spotted outside the cabin and police surrounded the building. They ordered him to come out of the cabin and he did without any fight or incident. Inside the cabin they found more homemade guns as well as some survival gear. Okay. Christopher had shaved off all of his blue hair and his plan had been to lie low for a while before heading south to who knows where to do who knows what. That was as far as his plan went. Which, again, you were taking steps to run and hide and try to, like, avoid punishment. So he knew that You weren't doing it well. And I don't think it's because you weren't mentally aware. It's because you were 15. Yeah. So you're just not good at stuff. Wow. He was very forthcoming about the attack. He told investigators that the attack was completely unplanned. He said that after his father left, he and his mother had started arguing about the guns and the porn again. And that the argument just started up fresh. And that he got worked into a rage and attacked his mom. So at first, because of his age, he was sent to Oakland County's Children Village. His family, both his father's side and his mother's side, supported him. His mother's family didn't turn on him and said that his mother wouldn't have wanted that. Which had to have been so hard, but I understand too, because I wouldn't want my children to murder me. But I wouldn't want my family to turn on them. Like, they're still my children. Yeah, you wouldn't want them to be completely alone. That's so much. That's like, oh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of forgiveness. They said Christopher was her light and she would have wanted them to forgive him and help him and look out for him. Christopher's defense attorney wanted him to plead insanity. He felt like they would have a case and that it at least was a crime of passion. Which I, I feel so weird about, like, crime of passion. You got so mad. That you killed your mom. And you know that in the moment of the act, Christopher wasn't sane. But Christopher didn't want to do this because he said he didn't feel like he was crazy. He didn't feel like he was insane when he did it. 
The defense lawyer tried to get a bond set for Christopher, but the judge refused to set one, which is fair considering he tried to make a run for it after the crime. he was already running for like a, I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, he would already had the chance to flee. He pled guilty in February of 2006 to killing his mother. A plea deal had been established that would have him serving 22 to 34 years in prison, but the judge rejected the plea deal and Christopher withdrew his guilty plea in March of 2006. The judge said that he rejected the plea deal because he was concerned about the public safety after Christopher would be released. This deal would have given him the chance to walk free at the age of 38. Another plea deal was offered that Christopher accepted, and this deal required that Christopher serve a minimum of 25 years, but no more than 37. So this means that Christopher has the chance to walk free at the age of 41. I don't know why the judge was so particular about the three-year difference. I don't know. Was there, like, like one the, had to be with parole and one was not with, with parole? I don't know. Because, I mean, that's, like, the only reason, that's the only thing that I can think of. Because if he's on parole with one after one sentence... They can keep tabs on him and see how he's like re how he rehabilitated himself in society, which scares. I imagine me, if but you okay. murdered somebody, you would be on parole no matter what. I would think so, but, but I don't have faith in that system for that to like that's logical, but that doesn't mean that's how it is. Yeah, that yeah. would take some research that I didn't do for that. Detail, no, because I was okay. just like, why? Why was he so upset about him possibly getting out at thirty-eight? So he rejected the plea deal, and he was like, now you can get out at forty-one. Thirty-eight's too young. <laughs> His defense lawyer was Mitchell Ribatour. And Mitchell Ribatoire said that Christopher was the one who insisted on pleading guilty to an open murder charge against his counsel's advice. So an open murder charge means he pleads guilty and then they decide what degree of murder it will be, whether it's first degree, second degree, manslaughter, whatever. Okay. So the judge ended up finding him guilty of second degree murder, which means he didn't plan it. Yeah. Christopher said during court that he felt bad and that everything had gone wrong. The judge ordered him to speak to a psychologist, and the psychologist claims that Christopher said he was going to use his homemade guns on abortionists and child pornographers, and that his mother had gotten in the way of the plan. And this feels a little bit like, I was just trying to save the children, and then my mom stopped me, and she didn't understand that I was going to save the children. (laughs) That's weird. You wanted to save lives, so you stabbed your mom to death because she took away your homemade marble gun? That sounds childish. He had also been looking at militia-style, pro-life, ultra-conservative, like, Facebook-type groups at the time. Christopher told the judge that he is not a violent person. But then, if he's not a violent person, why was he planning on... Why did he have homemade guns? Imagine you are on the stand for stabbing your mother to death. You explain that you stabbed your mother to death because you were going to use homemade guns on abortionists and child pornographers, which are two very different things. Yep. But I'm not a violent person. I'm a very sane person. Child, you literally just described, uh, like, everything that you have done, everything you've described is a violent person. Acts of violence, planning acts of violence, yes. So Christopher (sighs) stabbed his mother over a hundred times. But don't worry, he's not violent. It was over a hundred times. But he's not violent. He should have pled insanity. And you were going to use homemade guns on other people, but you're not violent. 
Did they have marbles? <laughs> yes. That's why it wasn't violent. It was just marble homemade guns, I'm Haley. sure you could fuck someone up with a marble. Oh, yeah, I'm sure of it. But he's not violent. Christopher and his lawyer claimed that Diane was abusive, not only emotionally, mentally, and verbally, but also at times physically. Christopher has made claims since being incarcerated that his mother once punched him in the face and then threw him headfirst into a glass coffee table, causing him to have to go to the emergency room when he was 11 years old. This is the only example that he's given of abusive behavior. Was there a record of, like, emergency? I don't know. I I couldn't find anything. Yeah. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Right. I want to believe people that they're victims of abuse. But you also stabbed her to death. A hundred times. And this is the only example that you have. And it doesn't seem like that ever came up before. I don't know. Yeah. He says that she nailed his window shut and wouldn't let him go outside. His lawyer said that Diane's abuse pushed Christopher to a breaking point. You were cutting screens out of windows. Right. That's why, like, that's how I could imagine it is, like, if you you don't want your child to sneak out of his, his window, nail the window shut. Yeah. I don't think that's abuse. I think that's, like, a safety hazard. Yeah. That one's hard, because, like, were you sneaking out at night and she nailed your window shut? Right. But again, like, who knows? During his time in prison, Christopher had grown up and become a man. If you look at pictures of him from the time he was arrested, he looks like this tiny young boy. Hmm. He was not like a big, like, athletic 15-year-old. It's almost incomprehensible to look at pictures of him as a child and be like, you committed such a violent and horrific act. Oh, really? He looks like he's 11 or 12. Christopher has written many essays that have been published online about his experience, which I find interesting because it's almost as if he's taken after his mother in in a way, because he's tutoring people and teaching people and writing articles. You've become the thing you hated so much. Yeah, he claims to have become a teacher and mentor to others in prison, and he views himself as a writer. Um, As far as I can tell from his writing, he doesn't seem to have any sympathy for his mother. Uh, He doesn't seem to express any regret over his own actions. He's, like, said it once or twice. Christopher does, though, express regret over having grown up within the prison system. I mean, yeah. (laughs) You probably shouldn't commit crimes if you (laughs) don't don't want to commit (laughs) crimes. Now I just want a Muppet now. (laughs) Don't commit crimes. Don't commit crimes. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, he's very sympathetic towards himself. He regrets having to grow up in jail, in prison. He writes passionately about the sentences given to juveniles, although some of his information regarding statistics I'm unable to verify. Yeah, some of the statistics that he writes about juvenile incarceration don't seem accurate. Like, at one point, he claimed that the state of Michigan has the highest number of juveniles incarcerated in the entire world. I don't know about More than that. other countries, more than other states. And, like, through some Google searches, and, like, there are other states that seem like they have higher incarceration rates, even when you factor in, like, population. I don't disagree with some of his points. It just feels like he seems to be trying to warp information to support whatever he wants to say, and I don't... I'm but, not here for that. I really like honesty and, like... Yeah. Just... Even if facts don't perfectly support what you want to say. Don't use them if they don't work. Because then you just end up looking kind of silly. 
So the earliest release date for Christopher will be April 24th, 2030. His father, Jim, has become an advocate for prison reform, but I haven't found any comment from his father about his ex-wife or the accusations of abuse that Christopher has levied against the woman who's no longer here to be able to defend herself. Yeah. Jim has written about what it's like for him to see his son grow up behind bars, as well as what it's like for families to try to visit with their loved ones in prison. (laughs) It's rough. (laughs) As somebody who is also an advocate for prison reform, it is rough. I have been to so many correctional facilities where I'm going to call out one because I think they're the nicest facility I have been to so far, but Saginaw Correctional Facility? Yeah. Super nice. But uh, other correctional facilities that I've gone to so gross. I don't think that I can be there an hour early for my visitations and I'll still be there an hour late because it takes them a long time to get people, you know, loved ones who are in vis- who are visiting the incarcerated to come in. And, you know, sometimes that's just like you end up being on the wrong shift change and they make you wait. Yeah. Or I've waited an hour just because I've had to go to the bathroom and they make you wait again to like go back into the whole process. There's a due process and I understand and respect that, but like I think that they could be more well-staffed and better reformed, for sure. Um, it's an interesting read. I can link it to yeah. some place, some point, probably on our website. Would oh, yeah. Would make the most sense to link Check it. Check out our website. I don't, I don't know what I think about Christopher. Yeah, I, I have no clue. It's difficult because I can acknowledge that a 15-year-old is not a fully formed adult. Yes, their brains aren't done growing the part of our brains that are responsible for helping us make rational decision making is our prefrontal cortex but our prefrontal cortex as an adult is much different than it is at 15 and adults mainly make decisions using the prefrontal cortex but when you're 15 year old 15 years old your decisions mainly happen in your amygdala which is the part of the brain that helps process emotions and you just act on your emotion and memories so you feel things so much more. I don't know if you remember being 15, but everything feels so much so more. so angsty. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. I yeah, so teenagers process their feelings and their experiences through the amygdala, whereas adults, once you hit 24, I think is when your brain starts, stops growing and it's fully formed. We're developed. <laughs> <laughs> then most people are able to uh, process feelings through their prefrontal cortex, or prefrontal lobe. And I wonder, like, going through that traumatic i mean because even though like he committed the crime that still has to be traumatic to him because he was a child like in a way totally he committed the crime i'm not i don't know trying to like raise him up or anything i wonder how that affects his you know brain development as well to yeah and then just also you have to keep sticking to a story and sticking to a narrative that fits your emotions and your perspective the best and then you know especially keeping that straight in court and it's hard because realistically i feel like the only people he owes any sort of answer or explanation to are his family and his mom's family yep i don't think that he owes any of us or like the public an explanation but all of his writing is so based on his experiences in prison and his regret for that and like the trauma that he experienced from that and he never writes about like I hurt my mom. Yeah. That's... And that's, like, the biggest red flag for me. Yeah. it seemed you feel regret and sympathy. Like, it's fine that you feel that for yourself and for what you have gone through afterwards, but you should also feel it about these other things. Yeah, the reason you are in there and the reason that led you to all of those traumatic moments in living in the prison. 
Yeah, so we have a teenager who's not fully developed, not at the peak of decision-making skills, feeling emotions to an extreme, and clearly having some underlying mental health struggle. Mm-hmm. And he murders his mom, so how long does he spend in prison? Does he spend the rest of his life in prison? Is prison the correct place for him to be? Is that going to teach him anything? You know, he didn't steal some DVDs from a local video store at 2005. In 2005, he viciously stabbed his mother to death. Right, and, like, what kind of resources can a prison provide to help him, you know, undergo the rehabilitation that he could possibly have and it could help him process like and is he taking that up like is he going to counseling is he are they offering counseling too because it's also really hard to be offered counseling and without being thrown into the psychiatric part of the prison just all together yeah because you have the issue of like okay you have a child who's committed a horrible crime how do we punish them but also why did this child commit a horrible crime? Yep. Maybe he has a tumor. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some people <Maybe>. don't know. <laughs> and they just live with tumors and it can affect them. I looked up some statistics regarding juvenile offenders because this is a very complicated topic. And I wondered how many times this sort of thing occurs. So according to the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention under the U.S. Department of Justice, juveniles were involved in about 1,122 murders in the U.S. in the year of 2020. This would have accounted for 8% of murders that year. So in 2020, juveniles were involved in 8% of murders. In the last year, murders by juveniles acting alone increased by 30%. Murders involving multiple juveniles offenders increased 65%, and murders committed by juveniles and adults together increased 56%. To be fair, we just went through, like, pandemic stuff, and I'm sure that super changed a lot of statistics. (laughs) Wow, that is... The rate of female juvenile, juvenile offenders over the years, though, has stayed really steady almost a straight line whereas the rate of male juvenile offenders is all over the place it's crazy but 2012 and 2013 saw a pretty significant decline in both genders in juvenile offenders and juvenile offenders are more likely to murder an acquaintance or a stranger rather than a family member okay like which is also weird because most people when you're like an adult and you get murdered you're most likely to be murdered by somebody you know yeah i that's weird that's like there's so many aspects you wonder what contributes to those raises and like increases of statistics i can't say statistics i see that (laughs) statistic (laughs) there we go just gotta be slower with it but yeah um that's insane is it the media <laughs> yeah, is I it abuse? So... Is it is it social media? Yeah, and the rise of that. Is it technology? I don't. I'm sure it's a bajillion factors. I think so. I don't know what happened here. I do know that a young kid is now spending most of the his majority life. of his life in prison, and his mom is just gone she has her family there who still remembers her and loves her but so much of the focus is on like christopher and like whether he should 
be in jail or what should have happened to him, but it's also, like, there was this woman who was just trying to help the world, and she's gone now. Yeah, like, poor Diane, and then, like, I just also feel for her family, too, because they're standing behind him, because that's what she wanted, but she was the victim, like, that is so, so, oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that, I'm not that forgiving of a person, I don't, I don't think I could disconnect myself, or whatever they have to do, but however they do it like I respect them so much for that because it is very isolating when you do live like when you are incarcerated but also just looking at the person that killed their daughter or their aunt or you know any relative is just so heartbreaking and I I respect that family a lot for putting those feelings aside I guess I mean you don't have to and those who choose not to I mean good for you either way I'm very, it's, it's admirable, and it's also just astonishing. Yeah, my feelings are all over the place. I would love to hear anybody else's. You can comment on our Instagram at Dead Endings. You can comment on our website at deadendings.com. You can send us a private email sharing your thoughts and feelings at deadendingspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Yeah, that's because cause we're curious. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> we want to know if you know. Do you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that is another ending to another Dead Endings. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.